Welcome to the Evergreen RX, your prescription for living well. Here, we're all about self-exploration, intentionality, and working with our mind, body, and soul for healing and growth. I'm your host, Hayden. I'm in my 20s and in search of connection, fulfillment, and ways to make sense of the world. If you're down, join me as I explore tools to bridge the gap between external reality and our deep inner worlds, discovering our own prescriptions for health, wholeness, and expansion. Welcome back to the Evergreen RX. I'm your host, Hayden, and today we're going to talk about microdosing mindfulness. So, you know, you might have a lot of questions already coming up around what I mean by microdosing mindfulness, and we'll get into all of that. But I think a really good place to start is just defining mindfulness, you know, creating a shared definition here in the Evergreen space so that we all kind of know what I'm talking about. Mindfulness, uh, is an umbrella term for a way of being and it can include meditation but it is not synonymous with meditation i think in the past few years something that i've noticed is mindfulness and meditation becoming almost interchangeable when meditation is really a particular activity or tool that can be utilized to achieve greater mindfulness or cultivate more mindfulness. But mindfulness really is the umbrella way of being. You know, a a definition of it is it's a quality of consciousness or awareness. And so that can extend into so many directions past just being in a meditative state or practicing meditation. So with mindfulness being this umbrella term, and this way of being, this is where the microdosing comes in. And that will, you know, we'll talk about this at the end of this episode, kind of how to do this, how to incorporate this practice into your life. But microdosing mindfulness means outside of just the meditation practice, the gorgeous journaling, sitting down, coming in touch with yourself, you know, ritual. Really, what I think where the meat of this practice comes in is the micro moments throughout our day. So that means finding times sprinkled all throughout your day to check in, to come back, to actively, consciously choose what you want to do at that moment and what you need, and creating more and more moments of that throughout your day to continue to cultivate this practice in those micro chunks. It doesn't have to be some long chunk. You don't have to sit down for 30 minutes. The beauty of this is in your ability to microdose and touch in and touch out and continue to come back to it all throughout your day. So like I said, we're going to get into examples and some real tangible tools towards the later part of this episode, but that's just to lay the foundation a little bit on microdosing. Another facet to mindfulness is that it is the way that we interact or collaborate with time. The the state of our being is the way that we interact with time, whatever that may be. Whether you're in a mindful state or not, you are in some way collaborating with time in that state. So what I mean by that is are you on autopilot or are you awake and conscious to the current moment? When we're on autopilot, typically time can zoom by really fast. Um, We can feel just caught up in every next thing. 
uh, really just almost survival mode, hopping from one thing to the next. But when we're in this conscious state of awareness, it's almost like being more so in relationship with time than being ruled or run by time. I think that's important to point out because I think that really highlights that definition of mindfulness as a way of being because the way that we are is informs the way that we move throughout the world the choices we make actions we take our behaviors and our relationship to the world around us and one of those aspects of the world around us is the aspect of time so I think it's important here to also talk about some things that mindfulness is not and kind of the alternative to some common beliefs. So it is not just a constant state of peace or joy. I think that's probably one of the largest misconceptions when talking about mindfulness is that when you achieve it, like it's a destination, which it's not, it means that you're always content, you're always peaceful, you're in this almost zen-like state. While that can be a place that you reside in some of the time, most of us are not going to live in that place all the time. What it really means is an acceptance or understanding of what is happening in the moment, what is happening right now, and accepting that for what it is. So that can sometimes include discomfort or sadness or grief, anger, annoyance, all of those emotions the wide gamut that humans can feel are all welcome and a part of a mindful experience. The difference there really is that we can choose how we engage when they show up versus when you're an autopilot, you're not really making conscious choices about how to engage with those emotions. You're just acting out of instinct or just knee-jerk reactions. But when we're mindful, we can notice the discomfort and then consciously choose what we want to do about that. If we want to sit with it or take action or make a change, we are coming at that from a really aware and awake place. So another common misconception with mindfulness is that it is a constant state of being. That's what I was saying a second ago about, you know, that it almost seems like this place to achieve or get to. If you can achieve mindfulness, that you will constantly be in that place. When really, what it actually means is the act of coming back to the moment. That is the practice. Sometimes a result of our practice is that we feel good or connected But really what the act in itself is, is continually coming back to the moment when we realize that we're out of it. You know, if anybody's done kind of any form of meditation, usually a building block of that will be focusing on your breath. And the practice is noticing your inhales and your exhales and noticing when your mind wanders off and bringing it back to the breath. The practice when you're doing a meditation like that, is not the focusing on the breath. It is the coming back to the breath when you notice you've left it. Coming back into the moment 
when you realize you've moved somewhere else into the past or into the future. That is what cultivating mindfulness means. Another misconception here is that it's an ability given to few. You know, maybe you think of a monk or the most like Zen person you know in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, their feathers are just never ruffled. They're like, they have this skill that I don't have. That is not true. We all have this ability to come into contact with the present moment as an innate gift. We're all born with it. But for most of us, there can be a process of relearning or reconnecting with that ability. I know for myself, you know, when I started out with practicing mindfulness, it was extremely hard. So much comes up and it feels almost unnatural. Even though it's the most natural state we can be in, the world that we live in now and the way things are structured that are so hectic and busy and distractible is not really built to make mindfulness feel natural to us. You know, everything in our world sometimes can feel in opposition to it. So coming back to it at the beginning can feel almost foreign. But that doesn't mean that it's something that's not possible for you because the same way that we were talking about intuition last week, it is an innate ability within all of us. It is not exclusive to any one person. It's also important to remember with that when you are coming to this practice and maybe after listening to this episode, there's some things you want to implement to know that mindfulness does not have a measuring stick on good or bad or right or wrong or whether you're doing it or not. I know a lot of people talk about this. so You've probably already heard it, but I think it's worth reiterating because a common behavior when trying something new is to look to people that are more experienced or have more practice and see their behavior as the marker for how far along you are or how good you're doing or not. But this is such a personal practice and there's just no measure of success with it. One, because there's no finish line. And also because if you are trying, if you are practicing coming back to your breath, even if you realize only two times in a day that you're out of the present moment, you are doing the act of mindfulness, period. The same way as somebody that maybe notices their breath 500 times in a day. You are doing the same action and there is no judgment on how good you're doing it. So I think some of the really juicy things about mindfulness is kind of finding your incentive for it. You know, everybody's talking about this practice and oh, I should really be more mindful or I should meditate more. Or, oh, I like, I'm not present. You know, we hear that a lot, but it, sometimes it can be like, okay, but why? Like, why does it matter? If everybody struggles with this, why can't we just kind of move about life in a different way? How I've seen it impact my own practice and kind of the incentive that, that I offer to you is that being more mindful is really a practice that influences our relationship with ourselves and others so much. I would say, in, in my opinion, this is like the number one effect is 
the way in which we talk to ourselves and the way that we interact with others in our lives, you know, loved ones, friends, coworkers, whoever, is so influenced by the level of consciousness we have at a given time. You know, when I'm at my most unconscious, I would say it's probably way easier for me to get away with talking to myself in a really mean or critical voice for a lot longer than it is when I'm present. Because when I'm present and I start hearing all these critical thoughts and mean beliefs and this stuff that's just so horrible to come up with about, you know, anyone, much less yourself, when I hear that from a mindful state, it's uncomfortable. It feels bad. I notice that it's not serving me. It's it's hurting me. And that doesn't mean it just, oh, instantly stops. Oh, I shouldn't talk mean to myself. So boom, I've stopped. But I don't think I'm able to get away with it for as long because I notice how much damage it's doing. So even if I need new tools or a helpful person to process with to be able to move out of some of those beliefs, I at least am aware of those beliefs that I'm telling myself. I'm aware of the things that I'm saying that are influencing how I feel about myself and how I interact with the world. And the same thing goes with relationships. You know, this applies especially, I would say, in arguments, but even in day-to-day interactions with people. Being really conscious and present with someone else can be such a beautiful... This can be such a beautiful, I really want to say lubricant here. I wish I had an alternative word to use, but it feels like lubricant is the most appropriate word to say like, if both people are interacting or one person at least is interacting from a really present state, it there is a flow and there is a real um, tangible connection that's happening there uh, that can be really beautiful and can help us notice how we impact the world around us and vice versa, how our environment and our world around us impacts us. Because that's that's when some juicy stuff starts happening. You know, being present with a friend that you notice consistently makes you feel bad afterwards is really helpful information. And, and that's a practice that leads into other ones like setting boundaries and attracting the people in your life that do make you feel good or positive or connected. It's, you know, it's a cascade effect when we start to notice moment to moment how we're responding to things and how the world around us is making us feel. That's the key to being able to make changes. First, you have to become aware and notice and then you can, you know, recalculate and figure out how you want to move forward with that new information. Another beautiful thing is that when you're mindful, it just helps extend time, which might sound kind of crazy, but it's true. Time stretches out. You know, we look at it in this linear way when really it it doesn't work that way. It goes back to what I was saying about really being a collaborator with time. That feels so much more true when you're coming at things from a mindful place. And there's also a sense of fulfillment that can be achieved when we are really present with where we are at in any given moment that we can't feel otherwise. You know, this makes me really think of um, a, a tarot card that I really love. It's the Five of Pentacles. And basically what it shows is 
you know, these two men are walking out in the snow. They look cold and tired and and it looks like it's a bad snowstorm. And they're walking past um, kind of like a church looking building. There's like a stained glass window that has this warm light emanating from it. And the men aren't even seeing it. And the way that I've come to understand that card is the idea that these men are struggling when help, when support is being offered. It is right there under their noses and they're not even noticing it. And whenever that card shows up for me in a reading, what I get from that is the call back to the present moment. You know, fulfillment, that idea of fulfillment, which we can think of as the church in this scenario, will always evade us if we are not making contact with ourselves, our bodies, and the present moment. If we're always leaving for some imagined future or nostalgic past, whatever it may be, that fulfillment that we want to feel when certain moments maybe we've imagined come will evade us because it's like we're not even there. You know, another really big benefit to a mindfulness practice is I know in the therapy world and in a lot of conversations that we have is using this tool to help with the stresses or the anxiety, the depression that clients are so frequently coming in for. You know, anxiety is created by living in the future and depression is created by living in the past. Obviously not solely. There's a lot of other factors that can play into those issues and I'm not minimizing the fact that those are real tangible things that people struggle with. And I'm also definitely not blaming anyone for struggling with anxiety and depression. If I was blaming anyone, I'd have to point the fingers right back at myself because it's something I also, you know, struggle with. It's not like a failing on being present that is causing those problems, but it's a good reminder and it can sometimes be a new way of looking at things of, you know, how can we increase our connection with the moment and what shows up when we do? Because usually people are not choosing to, you know, leave the present moment. They're like, oh, I'd rather just be anxious about the future. Usually there's something within us that is driving that train. You know, like I said, when we come into contact with the now as a practice that maybe we have not been exposed to or done a lot of our lives, there can be a lot that comes up around that. It can be really uncomfortable and things that maybe we'd rather avoid show up because all of a sudden our body and our mind is like, oh, we got our attention, so roll it all out. Let's like roll out all the stuff that needs to be healed or all the things that she doesn't want to think about. And it can be overwhelming. And so it makes sense that we go other places. It makes sense that we wouldn't want to sit with that. But as a part of this, you know, integrated health journey, this idea of creating your prescription for wellness, again, I go back to the concept that all of that is good information. Even just touching back in, dipping your toe into the moment for just a second to see what's there. 
can open doors into avenues of healing or areas of healing that once we work through, on the other side is really a lot of contentment and beauty and joy and some burdens and baggage that we have been carrying for a really long time we no longer have to carry. And with that, there becomes you know greater ease in, in living in this moment. Kind of in line with all of that is the idea that when we do make this connection, we're able to greater understand what it is that we need, what it is that we're feeling, and also being able to hear some of those subtle intuitive knocks a lot better. So like in last episode, in episode two, talking about how intuition comes in these subtle and soft ways that sometimes we can miss if we're not tuned to hearing them. Part of that attunement is getting quiet and and being more in the moment so that when they arise, we're kind of, we're there to meet them. We're ready. We're already looking. Our eyes are open. And so when they show up, we can really grab on a lot easier. And... I do want to mention that I know sometimes at the beginning of starting to learn more about ourselves, or honestly not even at the beginning, totally at any point, one of the struggles that comes up with that is really identifying what it is that we're experiencing, differentiating between different feelings, even having a label for different feelings. So I want to say that linked in the um, description, I'm going to put a feelings wheel image You may be familiar or not, but a feelings wheel basically is usually a color-coded wheel that has emotions kind of starting with more basic ones, happy, sad, angry in the middle, and then each color section kind of expands out into more and more nuanced as you go um, up up and out of the circle. Uh, And that can be a really helpful tool to start utilizing when you are practicing this because you can just go to that as a resource. Maybe you're feeling sad and then you look at the next le- level and it's, okay, actually it's it's really melancholy. And you can maybe even go past that level and and see I'm, I'm feeling grief or nostalgia or what, whatever it may be. Um, it can just be a really helpful tool. And so I'm going to throw one of those in the description if you're interested just as a resource to use um, throughout this process if that speaks to you. Um... Okay, so now we're in it. Now we know what it looks like. You know, some of the benefits. What are we talking about really doing and implementing? Because, you know, I think a big goal for me with this podcast, outside of of community and connecting with all of you guys and and sharing our own ideas and, and discussions about this, is also laying out wide array of tactics, holistic tools, Um, practices, all of that, different ways to do it so that you can pick and choose and take what works for you and leave what doesn't and make your custom prescription and do what works for you. So, so first thing, finding the breath and starting small. The breath is our vehicle into this moment. It is always there and It doesn't rush. It doesn't work ahead. It doesn't fall behind. The breath is constant. And each inhalation and each exhalation is serving to, you know, continue our life and to 
provide us with, you know, the oxygen that we need. So one way of doing this that's really helpful is belly breathing. So that just looks like breathing in through your nose, inhaling through your nose, and feeling that breath travel down through your lungs and down into your belly, feeling your belly expand, and then exhaling out through your nose or your mouth. If you're a visual person, you can visualize the breath going in and out. You can put your hands on your chest or on your belly to feel it. And a helpful tip here is that if you can make the um, exhalation a little bit longer than your inhalation, that can have more relaxing effects. And so I say that as kind of the initial building block because it's the thing that we always have with us and we always have access to touching back into. So it's just like super accessible. Uh, And even if you have two seconds and you just think, okay, wait, before I go into this next meeting, I'm going to just belly breathe for three breaths and and you just focus on that, that's awesome. (laughs) Next thing is identifying moments that you can start to microdose and alternatives in those moments. So some moments throughout the day can be uh, when you're getting ready, taking a shower perhaps, when you're driving at a stoplight in a waiting room, During a transition, like getting in and out of the car, you know, when you're running an errand, in between classes or meetings, when you're eating, Um, and you can just start to notice in whatever, you know, scenarios you choose, what your default is. So I know for me, with sessions, I have five minute breaks in between some of my sessions, and, you know, sometimes I feel pulled to just pull out my phone and look at all my messages or maybe start writing my clinical note or, you know, just really keeping busy. And then that five minutes flies by and then the next person's in there. And for my work, being really present and being attentive and listening, I know it's really important to have enough energy and charge in me to be able to provide that fully for each person that I see. So when I use those five minutes and I I just cram them in with a bunch of default activities, usually I feel a little more frazzled going into the next session. And so I've started to try and practice, you know, stretching or going outside even just for a minute or laying down in that short little window of time that I have. So, you know, I listed some alternatives there that I have found, but, you know, it can be anything. Movement is a really good alternative. Stretching, walking, that helps us kind of realize what's going on in our body. You know, like right now I'm trying to record this and now I'm noticing that my legs are actually really sore and I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable from sitting. So probably once I hit end... I'm going to stand up and and try to do some stretching because I didn't even notice until now that I was feeling uncomfortable. Or breathing, that's especially helpful in those really quick moments um, when you're at a stoplight or, you know, waiting for your friend to show up, waiting for the Zoom meeting to start can be helpful to just breathe because, like I said, it's always available to us. Um, Maybe you need a snack or water. You know, our bodies, like, we're physical creatures and sometimes we got to, like, you know, 
feed and, and water ourselves. And I know for myself, sometimes getting really caught up in work, I can just get so into it that all of a sudden I'm like, my mouth feels like a fucking desert. And I haven't stood up in three hours. And I'm like, oh my God. All of a sudden it all rushes back to me and I'm like hangry and frustrated and and like things have gone too far because I, I wasn't even noticing. Looking out a window, that can be really good too if we look at screens a lot. Or you can talk with someone, you know, this might be a coworker or a friend or even just a stranger. Uh, you're in the waiting room and you just say hi to someone or at the gas station. You know, those micro connections can be really, really helpful throughout our day and making us feel really present in our lives. Um, or you can do something like meditating. Like I said, that is a tool. You know, sitting down, maybe using Insight Timer or some app, or even just looking up music that's calming or ocean sounds, and just sitting for a few moments and practicing meditation. That is a really helpful tool and alternative in these moments. Uh, or you can journal or do art, whatever your thing is, you know, something that makes you feel connected and really alive. Those are beautiful alternatives. So I do want to say that when we start doing this practice, at first it may feel really challenging. Like I was saying, our attention is actively harvested and sold in the world that we live in today, especially if you have a phone. Um, we are constantly, our, our attention is the product. It's constantly being manipulated and used. So, you know, there's no blame or shame in that. Like, we all can struggle with this because it's like our, our attention and our focus is honestly actively being used against us sometimes. So if you find at first that this is real challenge for you, um, another good resource is a book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. I read this recently and I'll link it in the description, but really helpful, even if it's not your phone, but it could be your computer or um, the internet in general, or, or, you know, kind of, it can be extrapolated to a lot of different things, even though it's centered around our phones. Um, but it's a really helpful book that can just lay out some tools and additional uh, assists in helping with getting our attention back and gaining back our ability to focus and to become present. So if you want to get started with microdosing, I think, you know, you can even find moments in your ritual that you want to start implementing it. You know, going back to episode one where we talked about routines and rituals, this practice can become a part of it. And like I said, it doesn't have to just be the meditation. You can decide that you incorporate five minutes before you leave for work to go you know, lay with your partner or your pet or um, just with yourself. Just just to lay there and, and take a pause before going out in your day. Um, that's really up to you, but if, you know, you want this practice to be something that's top of mind, really working it into that routine or ritual that you've already set up so that it becomes just an automatic part of your day. Oh, so here we are. It's time for the dose. My question to you is once this podcast ends, 
thinking to yourself, what's a moment of your day where you feel the most frazzled? That may be a little breadcrumb into a time where you're losing that connection with the moment. I used to get super frazzled at like 2 p.m., 3 p.m. Like it would just be all of a sudden things were good and then it was like alarm bells were ringing and it was like end times. Like I would start to get anxious about everything I had coming up. Like couldn't choose what activity to do next, what work to get done next. Like it was just almost like a, a frozen state or just like decision paralysis. And I started to notice that instead of just pushing through and trying to just like go on to the next thing and, and feeling really frazzled, it actually helped if I would just pause and not do anything, which, you know, <laughs> was hard to do. Um, but I would find that it would help and I would actually calm down a lot faster and it wasn't actually that the messages from my brain that were saying oh my god you're overwhelmed because you have so much to do it was my brain saying oh my god you're overwhelmed because you're doing too much my challenge now is to create a cue for yourself to remind you of some of the moments that you have decided you want to try to microdose mindfulness so maybe for you when you're at stoplights. You want to resist reaching for your phone or whatever else you do and you want to just become really present and use that time to check in with your breath. What is a cue that you can give yourself to help? Maybe you set a setting in your phone where your phone goes on do not disturb when you're in the car. Um, other cues for you know different moments can be Setting an alarm on your phone for periodic check-ins. Maybe putting a sticky note somewhere where you'll see it that has a reminder or a mantra to come back to the moment. Uh, putting a background on your phone where every time you read it, it reminds you. Your pet. Using your pet as a reminder can be really helpful. You know, every time they come over and they want to go outside, using that as your cue to get up to stretch to check-in. Um, or maybe a certain place and time. Like I said, being in the car, every time you take a shower, that's kind of your cue to do your check-ins. So I'm excited to hear what you guys come up with and how this starts to impact your day or maybe any changes that you notice. And just a gentle and loving reminder that this is a practice and there's no right or wrong. And even in the tiniest moments that you begin to cultivate, mindfulness you are creating space and coming into more loving connection and relationship with yourself i'm excited to hear from you and if you have any questions or comments or anything you like to share find me on instagram or i don't know send me an email if instagram's not your thing uh and yeah let's just keep the conversation going and i will see you in the next episode Bye.